Welcome to the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the class of 86. Before we jump into episode 10, a quick hello to the members of the classes of 70 and 71 who celebrated their 50th reunions together last Friday and Saturday on I Street. It was a thrill to meet in person some of the guys who succeeded in turning the Washington Monument purple and white. One brought a piece of the actual purple celluloid paper with them. And even current Gonzaga teacher Mark Howe from the class of 73 remembered being on the mall that night as a freshman. I had two older brothers at Gonzaga at the time. My brother Mike was a senior of the class of 1970, and Jack was a classmate of Mark Smith, class of 1971. I was this lowly freshman, had been at Gonzaga all of maybe 10 weeks or so by the time this all happened. I remember that we were driving around downtown and I really wasn't sure why, except that Mike wanted to show me all of the stuff that happened, you know, around the town uh, the night before the St. John's game. We were uh, near the White House and turned down over towards the monument and pulled up and parked on the side of the road. I guess it would have been on Constitution and walked up the hill to the monument. And there's maybe half a dozen or so. And I believe my brother Jack was was somewhere in the middle of that mix uh, on the western side of the monument. I went over to the eastern side of the monument. Someone asked me, hey, we need someone to hold down these frames of the, you know, the purple celluloid that were over these, these banks of lights. I was able to climb up on top of that big light stand and grab a hold of those things and hold them on top of the monument. And I remember looking over, looking up at the side of the monument and saying, whoa, that thing is purple. <laughs> Look at that. So for me, it was an experience of this is what Gonzaga guys do the the night before the St. John's game. It was it was quite a sort of a baptism into what it meant to be part of that whole experience. Mark, do you remember the first Gonzaga St. John's game you saw? 1966. That was the famous six to six tie that game. And then I went again the following year where we beat them. Uh, we beat them 18 to 12 in 1967. And that was a little did I know to be the the last time I would see us beat them until 1981, after having suspended that rivalry for a couple of years through the 80s, kept beating them over and over and over again. In uh, the 90s as well, we dominated in both of those decades. feel really privileged to have you know such deep memories of that rivalry. And last Friday, the Eagles played real tough, a close 20 to 17 loss. Caleb Williams from the class of 21 even came back from Oklahoma to inspire the Eagles. Wasn't quite enough, Mark, but we've got another game this week. And hopefully we get to repeat what we did a couple of years back when uh, we lost to them on the last regular season game, knowing that we were going to play them back to back. The second game being a playoff semifinal playoff game. It'll be the same story this year when we have to face them again this Saturday. This game now is the one that really counts. So if you were going to win one of these two games, let it be this one. One o'clock Saturday, November 13th on Military Road at St. John's, the 101st meeting between the two schools. Thank you, Mark Howell. This Thursday, the 2021-2022 Gonzaga hockey season gets underway in earnest with the annual Dominic Petty Memorial Purple and White Hockey Game. 4.30 is when the puck drops at Fort DuPont. As we explore the history and heroes of I Street in Season 1 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast, this week we celebrate the relatively young but incredibly successful story of Gonzaga hockey. And you can't tell that story without telling the story of Dominic Petty. Let's begin at the beginning. 
We don't have a hockey program without our first guest, Eric Boven from the class of 94. Eric, tell us how it all began. My sophomore year, 91, 92, I remember distinctly, I was talking to Brody Mullins, who's an alumnus, and he introduced me to his father. And we talked and said, wouldn't it be great if we had a hockey team? He said, you probably need to go see Dr. Changlini. And Joe, his, <laughs> his reaction was, oh my God, we can't have a hockey team. There'll be parents calling me because of fights and blood and teeth missing. And uh, I just don't see it happening. I said, well, there's a lot of people here that want to have a team. Can I, can I get some names and come back to you? He said, all right, sure. And he kind of sent me on my way. I went around the school and I posted uh, inquiry forms in the bathrooms and in Kentwell Hall and Dooley Hall, where they played, why they wanted to play, their age, their height and their weight and their hockey style. And I, I still have them. I have about 25 papers back. It was uh, January of 1991 that I submitted those sheets to Dr. Changlini. He was a little surprised that we had all these papers back from so many kids that wanted to play. It was about 25 in all. Chris Conley was on there, Luke Mullins. He kind of looked at me and said, well, I'll talk to Mr. Radford and uh, we'll see where we go from there. Through the spring, he was working closely with Mr. Mullins, uh, Mr. Radford, and he was having me kind of spearhead with the kids in the school who would be interested. I think it was September of 1992. He called the meeting for all the kids that were allegedly interested in the team. He said, we're going to have a team. We've got a coach. Um, Eric, you'll be the team captain. And Dave Kopp, you'll be the other team captain. They'd hired a great coach, uh, Mr. McGonagall, who played at Yale. Ron Potter, who was assistant coach. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Mr. Ada, but we had JV football jerseys as our jerseys the first season. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, but that's funny. And Mr. Radford allowed us to put the jerseys and all the bags outside of his office in that little storage room there, which I think he regretted because they smelled so terrible. <laughs> and I know you've got a new solution. The storage room, Eric. <laughs> the storage room. It was, it was up until this year, but uh, put a little shelving in there. But now they're storing it inside the gym. We're on the ice a month later at Fort DuPont. The school had arranged for a old-fashioned school bus to take us to the rink. And we had a hockey team just like that. Well, Eric, congratulations for your persistence, despite some initial skepticism from the administration, because hockey has blossomed in the last 30 years on I Street. Well, I've got to say in Dr. Changlini's defense, too, he, he once we got going, he was quite supportive. He came to games. He actually ended up writing my college recommendation, which he was very uh, supportive about. So, we, I mean, we weren't friends, but he became friendly and a mentor. But the, the school really stood behind the program. And it was Dr. Changlini uh, in 1993. Uh, Mr. McGonagall, the coach, and I were talking about the need to have a tournament. That's how the Purple Puck kind of came about. But we had to take that to Dr. Changlini. I remember him saying, we need a name for it. We, need, we can't just call it the Gonzaga Hockey Tournament. And it was my sister. Well, you know, you should just call it the Purple Puck. So I, I took that to Dr. Changlini, Mr. McGonagall, and he loved it. And then they sanctioned the tournament in 1993, which so next year will be the 30th anniversary of the Purple Puck, which is really exciting because that tournament's really taken off in the area. Eric, you have to give your sister a shout out. What's her name? <laughs> her name's Megan, Megan Bovum. Megan Bovum. There you she go. Was, uh, she's four years my junior. So she was a, let's see, she's a freshman in high school and she named the Purple Puck. Joe, how many titles are we up to now with the Gonzaga hockey program? They've had nine titles. The first one came in 2005 under head coach Paul Tilch. And Paul was the first Gonzaga hockey player to make first team all met. Paul came back here to Gonzaga in 2002, 2003 
He was a teacher. He worked in student services, and uh, he went on to coach six years here and won three championships back to back to back, 2005, six, and seven. Nate Jackson had a brother, Jacob Jackson, who played, who was an All-Met, Washington Post's first team All-Met at Gonzaga. Jacob's brother, Nate, came back and coached the hockey program for six years as well, and he got three titles under his belt. When Nate left, Bill Slater came in. Bill continued to coach for four years. He got two championships, and then Sam Giordano back in 2019 got the last championship here on High Street. As the guys are getting back out on the ice to begin a brand new season, it's extra special coming off COVID because there was no hockey. Eric, your son's a sophomore. This is his first opportunity to don the purple and white. Yeah, it's real special for some of these kids. You know, I know a lot of them because they played uh, travel hockey together, like Ben Norton, who's also a sophomore. And they've, they've heard about Gonzaga hockey and they've been to the games. I remember taking my son as an eighth grader to one of the games against Landon. I don't know, there was like six or 700 kids there screaming, wearing purple, going crazy. I think there's such a kind of magic and myth about Gonzaga sports now. For some of these kids now to put on the jersey and get onto the ice, it must be really special for them having watched it and heard about it, learned so much about the different championship teams over the years. You know, I'll say this too. You mentioned Paul Tilch. Paul was a freshman when I was a senior. We both were neighbors and Rod Langway was our neighbor growing up. That's how we all got into hockey. Paul was a, a tremendous freshman hockey player. He was actually my defensive partner. He went on to do some great things for Gonzaga and, and was a great coach. Mr. Ada, I think he played in college too, didn't he? Yeah, University of Delaware. Yeah, he was a spectacular player. But I think our second season, I don't know, I don't have the records in front of me. I think we went from two and eight the first season to eight and two the second season. We're much more competitive. But um, Paul's a great kid and or was a great kid. He's a great man now. But there's a lot of people that have touched Gonzaga hockey that have stuck with it. And so I think that what's special about the kids going onto the ice now is they know parents and they know ex-coaches and their brothers played, like Ben Norton's brother, Jack Norton played. And there's such a community around the team that I think these boys probably, I'm guessing, feel really honored to put on the jersey. They're part of a big heritage, which is Gonzaga. That's Eric Bovin from the Class of 94 and Gonzaga's athletic director, Joe Rada. More with them in just a moment. But next, I want to bring into the conversation Jack Slater and his son, Ridge, from the Class of 2015. First, Ridge, you know, we just talked with Eric about what it must be like for these kids to get back on the ice post-COVID. Aren't you glad you didn't have to go through that? Thank God. And thank God I graduated college before all that stuff went down, too, because... I would just be chomping at the bit to get on the ice if I was playing high school sports. And Ridge, what message would you give to any of the current members of the Gonzaga hockey program? Two things. One, I hope you were skating in the offseason because it was a long one. I hope they stayed on the ice and stayed working out and things. But I mean, I think the essence of Gonzaga, Gonzaga hockey, um, just kind of the whole community is, you know, have fun. Give it your all. Leave everything out there. Don't go and come into the locker room and regret something that you did out there. Um, as long as you do 110%, you know, Gonzaga is going to be happy. Coach is going to be happy. And more often than not, that's going to result in a win. So um, go Eagles and hope for another championship this season. All right, let's welcome former Gonzaga hockey coach, the father of Jack and Rich Slater, Bill Slater. Bill, for everyone who's not familiar at all with your timeline, walk us through when you got involved with Gonzaga hockey. I grew up in Rhode Island playing hockey up there. 
I began coaching at the program in 2015, which would have been Ridge's senior year, became active in the program starting in 2010 when our Ridge's older brother, Jack, made the hockey program at that point. And so I'm still staying involved in the program today. You've been a part of some of the other leagues or the youth leagues. Have your kids yes. been playing since they were little? Yeah, yeah. So um, started uh, started coaching the boys and, and one of Ridge's siblings, his sister, Katie, back when they were playing for Montgomery Youth Hockey and then helped to form the AAA program at Team Maryland and Ridge and Jack played there and coached there, coached there as well, but been active in coaching for many years. Bill, what do you attribute the growth of youth hockey in the D.C. area over the last two decades? Is it just the Ovechkin effect? 100%. When we were at Montgomery, Ovechkin came in and it wasn't too long thereafter that the number of teams at each age level increased by 20 to 40%. You know, we went from maybe six teams that played as an example, in the house league to 10. We went from a couple of travel teams to four, even five. So Ovechkin was, had a, a massive impact. And then the, obviously the success of the Caps winning the cup. And Jack, your relationship with the Petty family goes back well before Dominic's time at Gonzaga. How young was he when he was on one of Ridge's teams? Ridge, you were seven, I think. Maybe even younger than that. Six or seven playing for Montgomery might house hockey our team was a stinger so it was kind of like my first introduction to hockey my dad coached a team along with mr petty and a few others there were also a couple other gonzaga kids on that team patrick kirshner jack siever jack yarmus theo grash some guys who i i played with one year of hockey and might hockey and then didn't see them again until i was back at gonzaga so it was really my my first year of hockey ever playing. I was playing alongside Dominic right from the jump. And he's a year younger than me. So I'm a 96, he's a 97. And in hockey terms, that's kind of how people always refer to it by age year. But so our freshman year, Dom actually did not end up making the team just because he actually was just a little bit smaller, um, hadn't fully grown into himself at the time. And he was still playing travel hockey. So it would have been hard for him to play that AAA level and play Gonzaga and commit to both. And I know that's still... Kind of something that uh, people struggle with in high school hockey today. But following year, our sophomore year, it was apparent like from the first captain's practice. I mean, he made a jump in both physical and just mental parts of the game. That one year of just focusing on his AAA at a bigger level with people are getting bigger. Your people who you're hitting with, meeting in the corners are all getting stronger. Um, and I think that helped him develop into kind of the prolific goal scorer that he was in our uh, sophomore junior seasons. Jack, you're involved in the program. You're still a parent, but you're not coaching yet. But what are you watching from the stands that you're seeing about Dominic Petty's leadership? Dom loved, loved hockey. He'd get to the rink early He'd get on the ice, maybe when nobody else was on the ice, or he and Ridge and Chris Maloney and uh, Fergus would jump on early. But, you know, he loved hockey, and he always had a smile. And so he gave 110% all the time. And he, let me tell you something. He got rocked a couple of times, and you'd be like, oh, crap. And he'd jump right back up and get right back into the play. And he had a nose for the net and the ability to put the puck in the net. He had an incredible amount of speed, and Ridge would just – find him and feed him and the rest was history. Guys, I really appreciate what we're going to cover next because the night of October 31st into the morning of November 1st, 2014 is something that's hard to talk about and hard to, to relive. But 
Bill, give me a sense of what it was like at practice that Friday. And we had such great, I mean, we had this practice, the energy of that practice, because we knew, I mean, I'm, we, we had by far the best team in the area. Mm-hmm. We had the best team in the area. There was nothing that was going to stop us from winning another championship, which would have been our third in a row. Levels of expectation and excitement were really, really high. And then the next morning, uh, Pat called me. Uh, he had been out of town with his daughter playing hockey. Uh, he called me at 6.30 in the morning at the house. Rich, when did you first find out? It's all a little blurry. I do remember waking up uh, November 1st with some of my other Gonzaga friends. You know, you wake up, you have a fun time out, and you're just kind of laughing, joking in the morning, and just everything's, everything's good. And then just getting a call from Ryan Daly, who was also on the, on the team at the time. And he broke the news, but he was kind of like not really sure. He wasn't really sure what's going on. I mean, it's kind of a, obviously a big event, and no one wants to not get it correctly. So Ryan called me, and then a few minutes later, another member of the team called me, and it kind of started to set in. And I mean, the rest of that day, I will say, was very blurry just in terms of kind of what went down. But I do remember everyone going and meeting at St. Al's and just kind of being there together and being with our community of not only hockey players, but friends, family, like I, th- I knew some kids who didn't go to Gonzaga who were there. It was kind of just a sombering moment and it was, wasn't the greatest day, but I will say in the, the days and the weeks that followed, it was pretty powerful to see how community in terms of hockey community, friends that I had from that we played with from our first year playing together with Dom to even people who didn't know him that went to other local Catholic and public schools in the DC area. It was just really powerful to see such a tragedy happen, but to see God work his way through the community and bring all these people together um, was really special. A couple of things that are important to, to note is the original assumption was that maybe this young woman who who was uh, in the military, in the Navy, maybe she had been drinking. The fact of the matter is she wasn't drinking. And, and the issue that happens sometimes late at night is cars track people in front of you, kind of get mesmerized. And it's actually fairly common that you can think you're coming in behind somebody because you see their lights and you're just kind of tracking them as you're going around, going around a, a curve in this case. But no, she was, she was not. And, and um, I mean, the example at the petty set of forgiveness and divine mercy is, you know, something we all need to live by. And the example that they showed, it's not like they came to this a few years later, Bill, they came to that sense of forgiveness immediately. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Were you in awe of that sense of divine mercy, or had you just always seen that in the petties? I don't think you really truly know anybody until they go through something like this, right? I mean, you don't really know. We all think we can forgive. You, all th- you don't really know. But they contacted the young woman and forgave her, had a conversation with her prior, because they're like, look, we can't, you know, we can't bury our son without forgiving you. It's what we have to do. And, you know, they live it every single day of their lives. They're really incredible. It's, and it continues to be impactful. It continues to be impactful to, uh, to me and I, I know to Ridge and our family today. Ridge, help us understand how you guys were able to sort of get back on the ice and get back to being a team after this incredible tragedy? It was a few days later. I think 
you know, it was kind of important that first week everyone kind of wanted to deal with it in their own way. Chris Maloney and myself were captains of the team at the time. And all we wanted to do was just like, you know, deal with it how you want to deal with it. But let's just be together every day because that's what Dom would want. And he'd want to play hockey right now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was really just being together and being there for each other. It obviously made for different pregame preparation than, you know, what we were used to every every other year. But I think everyone was incredibly strong during that time. I mean, there was a time when we were like, you know, if you don't want to come, if you don't feel comfortable, like, don't show up. But that was never – no one ever thought, I'm not going to show up, I can't be there. It was kind of – we all need to be there together for each other and with each other. And, Bill, the response from the overall hockey community in the D.C. area was, was pretty incredible as well. You know, the Capitals did a, a great piece – Monumental Sports did a terrific piece on the loss of Dom and just the hockey community. I mean, whether it was the IAC schools or the MIA schools or the WCAC, everybody was gracious. You know, we go up and we play St. Joe's Prep every year up out of Philly. They came down to the funeral. And it was not just the private schools or the Catholic schools, but the public schools. It was powerful. Prep hung a sign that said, today we're all purple. You know, Landon, their coaches kind of came in with our captain before the game. And then Spalding, actually, specifically, when we went and played them, they retired the number 11 jersey for their team and, and gave the jersey to the Petties, which I thought was pretty special. So there was, there was an immense amount of support. And I know the Holy Cross girls hockey team, the Busy Girls hockey team in Holton, they all sent support. I mean, they, they came and watched a lot of our games just they would never do that before, but they just, some were friends with them, some didn't know them, some just loved hockey, but the, the support was really strong. And Bill, did you see the same thing from the other coaches and the other hockey parents? Oh, absolutely. The, the, uh, every place we went, people wanted to know what they could do for us. You know, as Ridge mentioned, Spalding, uh, Landon also did a, uh, their formality of retiring the number 11. The community was absolutely incredible. Really, really was. And and that goes, we also have a rivalry. We play Wooten every year and Churchill. And in the case of Churchill, the, their coach, Ray McKenzie, had coached Dom for many, many years. That was the first team we played against to get the season going again. And uh, they were terrific. So, yeah. Ridge, best play that you remember Dom making? One that comes to mind that's a very Dom play. I mean, it's a, it's, I want to say it was Spalding in the Purple Puck my sophomore year. So my brother was a senior captain at the time, and it was – Bobby Halley was a center for my brother on the right wing, Dom on the left. That may have been flip-flop, but regardless, it was those three on the line, and we were handling them pretty well. I think it was probably like three to one, should have been five, but game was closer than it needed to be. Dom loved to shoot the puck, but regardless of if it was a four-on-one, kind of Dom pulled the puck out of the corner. Spalding was caught off like on a line change, and it was like a – I think it actually was a four, like a three-on-one, four-on-one. And my brother was just standing wide open backside post and Dom had the easiest pass ever to pass to him. Like probably looked him in the eyes, looked my brother off, just looked at the net and just went bar down and just scored the goal. But I remember my brother coming back to the net. He's like, Dom, you got to pass the puck. He's like, I don't know. I had the shot. I had the shot. <laughs> that was just like the, the kind of essence of Dom's game where he was just, he, he loved the game and he was all about just putting the puck in the net and just getting the job done. Bill, what's something you saw Dominic do that really speaks more to his character as a leader than just as a hockey player? So we have something called the Dom Petty Award, and part of it came out of this 
because of how he treated people. So a lot of people show up who are really good players and they're going to be on the top team and they don't care about everybody else. And so Dom had met a young man at a stick and puck who was a freshman who had never really played hockey, but had a Gonzaga, had a Gonzaga sweatshirt or something when he saw him. And Dom kept encouraging him like, hey, come on, you can do this. You can make one of the teams. And so we're at tryouts and this poor, I mean, you know, if we've got 63 kids at tryouts, he's in that bottom five, he's in the mix. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to, he may make the JV team, may not. Dom would be there while all the other guys are getting on, getting on the ice, doing their stuff, hanging out with the top guys. You know, Dom's talking to this kid, telling him, you can do it. You can do it. And that was him because he loved sharing hockey. But that was the leader he was. He wasn't just a leader. He was a leader of people, not just a leader of hockey players. He wanted people to feel good. He wanted people to love the game of hockey the way he did. When we began working on this episode about the hockey program and Dominic Petty, I didn't even realize a DominicPetty.com website exists. And it's got some amazing testimony about some unexplainable things that happened shortly after Dominic's death. There were so many godly things that happened after Dom's passing. And just his funeral was a Saturday, obviously, that week at Gonzaga and practice. Everything was tough and kind of everyone was there together. You know, the teachers, the counselors and everyone at the school, the faculty were just so helpful during that time. But coming up the next Saturday, we had St. John's Gonzaga football game. You know, that's one everyone always gets up for. It's kind of the big game of the season. It was the day of the funeral. The game was played over in Blair and Silver Spring. You know, everyone wanted to go. You know, Dom loved going to cheer on other teams. He loved doing all these things. And that was kind of the way that we got up and out of the house. It was like, okay, Dom loved doing this. Let's go do this. Um, not necessarily for him, but with him and just kind of um, have him there with us. It was the third quarter. It was fourth and goal for St. John's. We were down 11 points. The clock stopped at 11-11, and then we stopped them and came back and won the game. So that was a pretty wild story that happened. There was plenty of other kind of weird stories like that, but that one always sticks out to me as like, a, God is with us, and so is Dom. Also at DominicPetty.com is a copy of a letter signed by the late Father Warsh with his testimony of his experience the night Dom died. So Dom, the season before had had his appendix burst and was in suburban hospital. Dom was really sick. His blood was very infected. It was, it was like a long time in the hospital. But Father Warsh came into suburban and gave Dom his last rites and prayers, you know, just in case, because he was going to surgery. It was like all this stuff. And the petties were very close with Father. So, so Dom gets better and everything else. The night of the accident, Father Warsh wakes up and he, he had a vision that there was a knock at the door of the rectory. And he opened the door and Dom was standing there covered in blood, came in and sat down in a chair and said, there's been a terrible accident. Please call an ambulance. My friends need help. Yeah. And then, well, and then I, there was another similar story with Mrs. Petty's family priest in Poland had like a similar thing the same night. Yeah, that was incredible. And as hard as those stories might be to believe, if you go to DominicPetty.com, you'll see the testimony and more stories about folks who felt like they had an encounter with Dom after he passed away. Bill, let's talk a little bit about what impressed you the most about the young men who had to regroup. I mean, you're the coach, you're the adult, but you're seeing them go through a tragedy that no one, no one can walk them through and give them a guidebook on. What impressed you the most about the 2014-2015 hockey team? The brotherhood is second to none. I mean, it really, 
you know, right off the bat, off of a lot of that stuff, uh, the loss of Dom and, and bringing everybody together, we started the theme, one team, one family. It didn't matter what team you played on, you know, where you work in Zaga, what, whether you were a hockey player or not, these boys came together to support each other. Every, everything they did. I mean, it was, it was really, <clears throat> really, really impressive. You know, it's gone on to even the next level with their support at the time for each other and reaching out to each other. As Riz said, you know, whether it's telling somebody, look, just take the day off, it's okay. Uh, but also maybe being there for somebody when you know they're struggling. And, and, and it was a tough time, but we've taken that, you know, we've now taken it to the Dom Petty game. There's now a scholarship fund in Dom's name. And in the short period of time, we've got over $650,000 that gives a scholarship to a young man deserving to go to Gonzaga, who uh, ideally comes from Ward 7 or Ward 8 from, from where Fort DuPont is, where Dom played. That fund keeps growing because of the brotherhood, because of what these guys got. It's special. Bill Slater, former Gonzaga hockey coach, still involved with the program, and Rich Slater from the class of 2015. I can't thank you enough. I know this wasn't easy for you guys to visit with us, but thank you for telling Dom's story. It's always good to talk and remember, and it just makes us happy that there's people playing today that can hear the story about Dom and just have the legacy live on. So, Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Ridge. All right, let's rejoin Joe Rada, the athletic director of Gonzaga, and Eric Bovum from the class of 94. Eric, your son's trying to make this year's Gonzaga hockey team. Do the kids today, do they know all about Dominic Petty? From what I've heard, and kids talk in the car and carpool, I, th- I think they know the story pretty well. They all universally say he's a, a great kid, well-respected amongst his peers. I think what Gonzaga's done so well, and this is a testament to, to Joe Rada and the whole program, is they've kept the history up through the years. I've not heard any player, and I know a bunch of them, no one said out loud, I don't know who Dominic Petty is or why we're doing this game. Everybody knows who he is and why we're doing the game, and they're all supportive of it, which is really nice because you hear the word brotherhood thrown around a lot about Gonzaga, but it's really true. I mean, these these kids really love each other and stick together, and I think this scholarship and the and the game, the Dom Petty game, it's really a testament to not just him, but the way the brotherhood of Gonzaga has stuck together around this one tremendous person and the tragedy that that hit him and his family. The funeral was at the National Shrine, and it was standing room only. I mean, it just goes to show you what kind of person he was and how it affected the whole community. You got to watch him personally, Joe. What was something that stood out for you about Dom? Dominic was an awesome kid. How much he connected, not only with uh, with the seniors, but also his juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. I mean, uh, he made an impact in the whole school. And if you would like to make an impact as well, we've got the link to the Dominic Petty Memorial Scholarship Fund in the show notes, or you can find it by going to Gonzaga.org. From now until November 11th, we uh, try to get 111 donors donate to the scholarship fund. And I looked at at it before we got on here and it was over 200 people that have donated in the last two days and they donated $31,000. So it's just amazing. And I know there's people out there, not only in the Gonzaga community, but the hockey community 
outside of Gonzaga, the people who have donated to this is just incredible. A lot of that has to do with Bill Slater, Dina Halley, Gina Norton, and I know John Cotton, there's a, a ton of people that were involved in this. They kept it alive and these people are still involved and want to see it live for ages. Great job by those people and, and we're really happy for it. Joe Rada, class of 85, your current Gonzaga athletic director. Joe, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Brian. Eric, good talking to you. Thank you, sir. In the show notes for episode 10, I've got links to a couple different things you may want to check out. Of course, the Dominic Petty Scholarship Fund, also the DominicPetty.com website, and the link to an incredible video that the team over at Monumental Sports Network put together about Dominic Petty. Thanks so much for listening to episode 10 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Feedback is always welcome. Podcast at Gonzaga.org is how you can reach me. Coming up next week in episode 11, a special visit with members of the 19th 1959 city championship football team from Gonzaga. We played in Griffith Stadium three times that season. We played St. John's there, then we played the playoffs there, then we played the city championship. How did they get to the championship game? What were the tiebreakers? We'll cover it all next week in episode 11 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Follow, subscribe, like, and share with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time. Ad Maorium Dei Gloriam, and Hail Gonzaga! Martin.